Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. During that long period, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out for help. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Thank you so much. Good welcome. Thank you for the welcome to this new series, which we're entitling Encountering the Living God. We're going to go on a journey through one of the most epic, dramatic biographies ever written, the story of Moses. Um, this really is, a, if you get a chance to read through Exodus, you'll see why I say it's one of the most epic stories. It's actually inspired an incredible amount of artistic representations. Anyone ever seen some films about Moses? Some of you may be old enough to remember Charlton Heston playing Moses, right? I don't even know who this person is, but the people on the front row seem to uh, have an idea. Anyway, uh, and then more recently, I do remember the Prince of Egypt, the DreamWorks animation, where Moses, age 30, 
Um, and then aged 80, looks exactly the same. Have you seen this? He seems to be using Botox or something. I don't know what it was. But anyway, he's this extraordinary figure in the Prince of Egypt animation. And then, of course, more recently, the film Exodus, God and Kings, which starred Christian Bale playing Moses, a Ridley Scott production. Hollywood seems to still be captured by the drama of this amazing story of this figure, Moses. But it's not just um, Hollywood, actually. Over the centuries, this story that Moses leads, the story of Exodus, has also inspired amazing freedom movements. You think, for example, of the abolitionists who um, overturned, worked to overturn the slave trade. William Wilberforce and others drew on the story of Moses to say God is the God who sets the prisoners free. Amen. And then uh, Martin Luther King famously in his speeches drew richly on Moses and the story of Exodus to to cry out for a new day, uh, seeing the promised land, uh, the dream that he had of equality. And then more recently, many movements have been inspired even in this present time to work with those who are still enslaved today, trafficked around the globe. God is the God, the God of the Bible breaks the shackles and sets the prisoners free And this is the story of Exodus. This is the journey of Moses. And we are therefore not invited to a movie, okay? We are invited into the call of God on our lives to play our part. We are being caught up in this story to be part of the drama of bringing freedom into our world in Jesus' name. Well, that's what this vision is about for this series. But it all begins for Moses and for us by encountering the living God. The only reason Moses plays any part in the drama of freedom in the world is because he feels, well, his biography gets punctuated by moments of divine encounter with the living God. How many of us know that lives can change, biographies can change, histories can change when ordinary failed people encounter the living God? And how many of us feel like flawed and failed, inadequate human beings, but I wonder what God can do through a life when we feel the encounter of the living God. Things can change. That's the story of Moses. I mean, later on reflecting on his life in Deuteronomy, we're told that no one knew God like Moses, and it says this, that he knew the Lord face to face extraordinary intimacy in that phrase. In fact, literally in the Hebrew language, it can be uh, rendered breath to breath. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, how close do you have to get to someone to feel their breath on your face? Moses lived with a proximity to the living God. And and God wants through this series to stir in our hearts a a healthy dissatisfaction with anything less than a face-to-face, breath-to-breath relationship with him. Religion is not enough, amen? Week to week, Christianity is not enough. We want face-to-face encounter with the living God. Nothing else ultimately satisfies the human soul and nothing else can help people like Moses and us actually bring change into our world. And there is a desire in our world for this kind. Maybe religion, formal religion, has had its day, but breath to breath, face to face, actually experiencing God's presence in our lives, people still want this today. I was on the train yesterday on my way here um, looking at my notes. I do actually have notes. You think I don't have notes, but I do actually have notes. Here they are, of of no real use. That's why they stay on the table. But uh, these notes I was reading on the train, and as I was reading them, the girl opposite uh, was obviously also, you know, reading my little notes for the sermon. And so she asked me, are you a priest? And I said, I didn't really know how to answer that. I didn't think 
the Virgin um, train to Birmingham was the place to go into the priesthood of all believers. So I, I just said, well, not, I said, I'm a preacher. And I'm preaching tomorrow. And I said, uh, and, and I said do you want to hear my sermon? <laughs> so, so on the Virgin train to Birmingham, I basically gave this message for the first time. And uh, I talked to this girl who had a Catholic upbringing and had turned away from it all. She didn't want anything more to do with it. And I explained, but being a Christian is about knowing God face to face. Through Jesus Christ, it's not religion, it's a life-transforming relationship. And by the end of the sermon, she decided that she would like to give her life back to Jesus. And so we prayed, yeah. We, uh, we prayed on the Virgin train to Birmingham as this girl led a li- uh, gave her life back to the Lord. And it reminded me, actually, we may not want formal religion, but we do want what Moses experienced. Every human being is hardwired for this kind of encounter with the living God. And I pray as we go into this series that this will be a summer where our expectation levels rise. We don't just want week-to-week Christianity. We want face-to-face encounter with the living God. Amen? Let that be the cry of our hearts then. Let's get into the story of Moses. And this message is entitled, Encountering the God Who is Faithful. And their headline for the message, so this is the big story that we're going to cover today. The headline is simply this, God has a plan for your life. Amen? God has a plan for your life, but life doesn't always go to plan. <laughs> but God is faithful. All right, that sentence is going to sum up this message. God has a plan for my life. Life doesn't always go to plan, but God is faithful. Now, to get behind that headline, we need to just think about the backstory. Where does the story of Moses fit into the larger story of the Bible? When we put the text in its context, it makes a bit more sense. So come over with me to the drawing board, <laughs> and you'll see just how badly I can draw. But hopefully this will be helpful as a little reminder of the big story of the Bible, which goes something like this. In the beginning, God made the world good symbolized by this tree of life, right? God set up this world on purpose and he made us for purpose. And yet, as we know from the story of the Bible, things go downhill and go wrong. And so God in Genesis called a figure called Abe, Abraham into the story. You probably know the story of Abraham. God said to him, through you, Abe, I'm going to bring back blessing to this world that's gone wrong. And so this character gives birth to a family, a new human story, the story of Israel. And Abraham's great-grandson is called Joseph. You've heard of him, right? And his Technicolor dream coat. And through Joseph, the storyline of the family goes down to Egypt. Do you remember that? He's sold by his brothers into slavery, into Egypt. They're later reconciled. But the entire family of God's people go down to Egypt through Joe, all right? So now the story is set in a new land in Egypt where for 400 years... Israel become ultimately enslaved. Egyptian pharaohs enslave them into labor camps. And so this is where our man Moses fits in. There's a promise to Abraham, but Joseph and the family have been brought down to Egypt. And so God's got to get this people out of the land of Egypt and back into the very same land, notice the symmetry, that he'd promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And so this is where our character Mo fits into the story, right? Exodus is the story of God getting his people out through Moses and then ultimately into the promised land through Joshua. What do you think? There's my drawing. Thank you so much. Art school, here we come. But anyway, the point is, from this drawing, that's the big story. 
Moses is going to be the character that brings the whole of God's people back out into freedom. And his life, therefore, begins in a tough, hostile environment. In fact, we read this ominous phrase to set up the story in Exodus 1, verse 8. Now then a king, a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. This phrase is crucial. It's actually both ironic and, I believe, prophetic. It's ironic for this reason. Joseph was the very reason that Egypt got blessed. If you know anything about the story, famine hit Egypt hard, but because God had raised up one of his people, one of the Hebrews, the Israelites, Joseph, in Egypt, Joseph saved not only Egypt, but the known world of the time from a desperate famine and brought extraordinary blessing to the nation. Only the ironic thing is, now a pharaoh comes to power and he doesn't know about Joseph. He doesn't realize that these people have actually been the blessing of God to Egypt, and so he starts to try and exterminate them, to eradicate their whole existence in Egypt. He puts the Hebrews into harsh labor, and ultimately it ends in genocide, or a form of genocide. Now that's ironic, but I also believe it's prophetic. You see, this great nation of ours, Great Britain, has been so heavily influenced over the centuries by the biblical values and a Christian vision for how human beings can flourish in the world. It seems to me that today the secular media and secular politics seem to be forgetting. It's like a pharaoh's arisen that doesn't realize that actually the Christian vision has brought extraordinary good things and blessing to this nation. So many of our human rights are underpinned by the Bible's teaching that we're made in the image and the likeness of God. So much of our education, universities and schools trace back to the Christian vision for training people. So much of our healthcare and the hospice, whole entire hospice movement, these things have been inspired by Christians with a vision from the Bible for how to do life well. But it seems like we are intent on erasing and eradicating all that has brought blessing to this nation. I was in um, Parliament this week at a national prayer breakfast and uh, with a friend of mine who's an MP, we went into the building and I noted again, I'd seen it before, but in the lobby of Parliament, written into the very stone of the floor of the Houses of Parliament is a quote from Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Our Houses of Parliament need to read that scripture again. (laughs) It's unless the Lord builds the house, right? And the Bishop of London gave a very important speech to MPs, including our future Prime Minister who was there, one of them, and uh, gave an important speech to make the point, actually the biblical vision for human beings is what's given us the society that we so value today and we must not turn away from it. Now my point is this, in the name of tolerance, ironically, it's becoming increasingly hostile towards Christian values in our culture right now. In the name of progress, I believe our culture is increasingly unpicking the very fabric of family and childhood and identity and sexuality. There's something turning very significantly against what has actually brought great blessing to our nation. This is Joseph and Pharaoh and Moses, and this is our context. And here's why Moses is a great encouragement to us then. Actually, God is faithful. And Moses is a story of how God's people can still flourish and overcome even when it feels hostile and challenging. 
And I believe actually something is going to turn in our nation. I believe that a new impetus is coming. A new generation of Moses will arise who have felt the breath of God on their face and don't fear Pharaoh anymore and will stand for truth in a new way and bring freedom and hope back to our nation. And it all starts, amen, it all starts with a fresh encounter with the living God. So listen, that's the backstory that sets up the story of Moses. And the simple headline I want to bring today then is God has a plan for your life. And even when life doesn't go to plan, God is faithful. Let's just unpack these three phrases for a few moments. Firstly, God has a plan for my life. Moses is born as a baby, as most of us are. And uh, as he's born in a very ordinary setting, nevertheless, his mother holds him at her first moments of life. And it says that, uh, interesting phrase, that when she noted that he was a special baby. Now, I can only imagine this is what every parent feels when they hold their newborn, right? To To an innocent bystander looking at what they're holding, it looks like some kind of thing that's crawled out of a swamp, right? But to the parents holding their newborn, here is a miracle. Here is something special. Have you felt that? Some of us have been parents. And even if you don't even believe in God, so many people have this moment of seeming transcendence when they hold this newborn and feel like here is a miracle, not just a bundle of matter. Here is something intended. And that's the point. From the moment we were conceived, from the moment of our birth, God has a plan for our lives. And whether your parents planned you, whether you were born into a solid, reliable home or into a broken, complex situation, God has a plan for your life. You are not an accident. You are a divine plan and intention. If you see a pregnant woman, you see that God has a new plan for the world. Amen? That's what a human being is. It's a bundle of divine intention. And so even if you feel like you're Trace back your story to a moment that feels so accidental and random. I want to tell you it wasn't. It isn't. I remember even meeting a lady who had some significant impairment because of a failed attempt at abortion when she was in the womb. And she survived it and she was born and she lived. And I remember her saying to me, even though that happened to me, God's plan for my life has not been aborted. I thought, what an amazing statement to be able to make. Whatever the circumstances into which we were born, Moses into very difficult circumstances, God has a plan for my life. Now, as the story unfolds, we begin to see how this works out. God's up to something. So Moses' mother takes this basket and uh, waterproofs it with tar, and ever since, we've been buying Moses' baskets. That's where it comes from, right? It's the thing you put your baby in and wish that you could float it away on the river when it's crying sometimes. (laughs) So, so she puts Moses in this basket, and um, she doesn't actually float him down the Nile. I've, I, I've reread the story and realized I'd got it the wrong idea. She actually strategically positions him in the bulrushes. And then she puts the, her secret agent, Moses' sister Miriam, hiding, ready, and waiting. And lo and behold, it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter comes along. And it just so happens that even though Pharaoh is this great enemy of God's people, it just so happens that the daughter discovers the baby, Moses, and puts the, takes the baby in her arms, and her heart is turned towards the baby. Uh, cue, cue Miriam, right? She bursts out the bushes and says, um, well, that's, that's a cute baby, but you don't want to have to change its nappies. Do you want me to get someone else to do that for you? Yes, I would, says Pharaoh's daughter. And by the end of the day, Moses is back in his mother's arms, only now she's being paid by Pharaoh to look after him. <laughs> 
Only, yeah, only God can do that, right? The point is, God has a plan for your life. And even when circumstances feel so fragile and uncertain, God's plan prevails, right? We, we believe in the doctrine of providence. That means that ultimately God's sovereign and he's working in hidden and subtle ways to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called into his purpose. Providence comes from two, a two-part Latin word, pro and vides. You can hear vides, video, which means to see, but pro means before. We believe in a God who sees beforehand what's going to happen, and what he sees beforehand, he sees, he sees it and he sees to it. <laughs> he sees to it so that all things ultimately work together for good. I love this quote by Judson Cornwall who puts it this way, God stood at the beginning of time and saw everything as though it were present, and he saw too everything he saw. There wasn't a thing God saw that he didn't see too. So we don't need to worry about the things we see because God already saw it and saw to it. <laughs> That's providence, folks. It's a reminder that God has two hands with which he intervenes in human history. Later in the story, we will see the very visible hand of miracles. Sometimes we see what God has done very dramatically. That will be true in the story of Moses. But right now, the narrator of the story is very careful never to use the, even the word God in this whole narration of what happened to baby Moses. As if to say, you can't see God in this story, but he's involved in everything. So we believe in a God who works through miracles, the seen hand of God, and we believe in a God who works through providence, the subtle, unseen ways that God is actually steering the very currents of the River Nile. He's moving the very emotions of Pharaoh's daughter. He's orchestrating the arrival of Miriam on the scene in order that all things work together for good. Aren't you glad there's a God who's at work even when you can't see what he's doing? And he's working all things together for good. Now because this is true, a couple of immediate applications for us. Number one, we can live with a new sense of peace. Because even when I don't feel like I've got it under control, I believe in a God who has. We need to either believe in the sovereignty of God or we'll live with a lot of anxiety trusting in ourselves. But Moses' mother demonstrates what it means to live with a healthy peace. It's interesting that the word that is translated basket, Moses, the Moses basket, is actually the word for an ark. Echoing back to the Noah story when God brought salvation through an ark. And it's as if the narrator is just giving us a little clue that when Moses' mother put him in that basket, she thought of it as an ark. Somehow God's going to save my baby and I don't know how. I think what an amazing confidence for a mother to have as she floats her son back down the Nile to say, God, I'm trusting in you. You're a God of providence and I'm not going to lose my peace over this. Extraordinary, eh? So for those of us who are parents who feel anxiety about our children, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. We entrust our children to his care, right? We don't need to be helicopter parents, <laughs> always hovering over, anxiously trying to manage and take control of every detail of our children's lives. Yes, we need to take responsibility seriously, but we also need to entrust them to a God of providence. Amen? We have a healthy peace in our hearts because even when I don't have it all under control, I believe in a God who does. But not only that we can live with peace, we can also, because God has a plan for my life, we can make a plan to respond. Notice, because God had a plan for Moses' life, his mother made a plan 
to step into that providence. God's providence doesn't make us passive. It doesn't mean that we switch off and just say, well, que sera, sera. No, no, no. We can be active precisely because we believe that as we take initiative, we're stepping into a God who's taking care of us. So don't let the idea of providence make you passive. Let it give you fresh motivation to be active in taking steps into God's providence. If you don't have a job currently, I encourage you, take a step into the providence of God by building your CV, volunteering a little bit, and seeking to be active in resolving that situation. Don't be passive just because it's not working out right now. Step into the plan that God has for you in faith. If you're single right now and you'd like to not be single forever, well, that is a tough reality, but don't allow passivity to creep in. Don't drop the standards either. I, uh, that's important. You know, find the right kind of person. Make sure they, they love Jesus and can hold down a job. Those would be two useful things. But beyond that, don't also be passive, right? Don't stay indoors gaming all night. Step into the, you know, put, put on your best and step into the providence of God. Get out and meet some people. The point being, providence doesn't make us passive, It actually encourages us to be active. God, you've got a plan for me. You've got things lined up, and I'm going to go out and discover those things in faith. God's got a plan for my life. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Now, the second thing is, though, and we say this very much in tandem, God's got a plan for my life, but life doesn't always go to plan. This is what we see next with Moses. It isn't happily ever after just because the first bit worked out well. No, actually, what we find with Moses is things get complicated. Why? Well, because we are involved in the plan. (laughs) It was always likely to go a little bit wrong when God involved us, don't you think? So God's still got his plan. He's still going to work it all together for good. But life doesn't always go to plan when we're involved. The story goes on something like this. Moses' mother gets to bring up her boy for the first perhaps three or four years of his life, which is a, such a gift. Given that she thought she might, he might, she might lose him altogether, she actually gets to be involved in the most formative years of Moses' life. You know, apparently child psychologists tell us that years naught to three, four, years three and four, the preschool years are by far the most formative years for the development of a child. Around 80% of the adult brain is formed by the end of that um, period of three years which is just a little reminder, a little nudge to those of us who are parents, we must prioritize the preschool years. Above all things, we are forming our little children more than ever. That's something we shouldn't delegate. We should invest in that moment. Moses' mum got to do that. But then she did have to hand him over to the palace. So Moses grows up prince of Egypt. He walks like an Egyptian. (laughs) He talks like an Egyptian. But because of what his mother had instilled in him, he knew that he was one of God's people. So with that sense of calling, which was a good thing, we then arrive on the day when Moses does a bad thing. He takes things into his own hands, and he ends up, you heard the story, he ends up murdering an Egyptian slave master when he sees him beating a Hebrew. He murders him thinking that he could make it happen, thinking Moses could be Messiah by the end of the day. And so he takes matters into his own hand. He operates in his own strength. He doesn't wait for God's calling and God's timing, but he steps outside of all of that, and suddenly life doesn't seem to be going to plan. Instead of everyone rallying with him, they stand back from him, and he's alone, and Pharaoh hears about it, and Moses is now on the run. Life is now being hounded. He has to bury the evidence in the sand, and then he runs out into the wilderness where he ends up sitting down by a well in the middle of nowhere. In fact, it's in a desert called Horeb, 
which must have been pretty horrible (laughs) for Moses, right? This is an utterly bleak moment where he must have concluded, though God has a plan for my life, life does not seem to have gone to plan. Now, this is a life lesson. I, I must admit, as I've been studying this text, I've thought, gosh, Moses feels like looking in the mirror. Because how many of us, for good motive sometime, for good motive, how many of us with good goals in mind are prone to taking things into our own hands? For going ahead in our own strength and trying to make things work when it wasn't God's timing and it wasn't God's way? Is that just me or is anyone else a little bit prone to taking things into their own hands and operating in their own strength? And if we do, we end up like Moses, feeling a bit hounded and anxious and stressed out in life. In fact, if we could diagnose what this situation would have felt like for Moses and what it means for us, it's kind of giving us a bit of a reveal on a situation we don't want to get caught in, which is where we've overextended ourselves to try and take on God's work, but without his timing and without his way, and we found ourselves sitting down by a well feeling like we've lost the opportunity that we had. He's no longer in the palace. He's now by a well in the middle of nowhere feeling like he's blown it. Some of us may have felt like that with life. We've taken on board challenges and and initiatives and we've ended up stressed as a result. Here are some of the symptoms I was thinking of if this is a, a way of analyzing whether this is true for us. Firstly, if you've overreached yourself you will feel like you're continually overrun. Have you ever seen those um, people who do that plate spinning? You know the ones I mean where they, they start spinning one plate and then another's going? Well, if we start spinning too many plates, it's not just that we have occasional busy periods of life, it's that we are continually trying to manage things that we've set, set in motion that we can't take control of. Is that ringing any bells? Some of you are nodding. We overrun ourselves and then we get cross with other people for not doing what we thought they should do to help us. Frustration, right? We feel underappreciated because we're so busy and we don't feel like God and other people are doing what we told them to do to try and help us succeed in what we're doing. And the stress grows. And you find that your prayer life is really, you're only really praying when you feel like you're losing control. You're not praying out of intimacy and encounter, you're just praying when one of the plates feels like it's falling and you think that God should be helping you more. These are the challenges of leading a life where we overreach ourselves and end up like Moses, trying to manage situations we've got ourselves into where our strength is not sufficient for the task. Now, what do we do when we feel like this is happening? Some of us may be in a life that is right now very stressed and full of an anxiety, and we feel feel that kind of panic and episodes where we're crashing out of life because we just can't do all of the stuff that we've set in motion. What should we do? Well, notice what Moses did. He sat down by a well. Interesting, isn't it? I can only imagine that in sitting down, after running and trying and striving and pushing, he finally sits down as if to say, God, I can't do this anymore. And I think God's response was, I agree. (laughs) I agree. And some of us need to sit down and stop striving and actually say, God, I want to give my life back to you today. I believe you have a plan for my life, but I've taken it into my hands and life hasn't gone to plan. God, I want you back at the very center. I want your plan for my life. Now, if you'll do that, if you will stop and sit and put God back at the center, we will discover what Moses discovered, the third and final truth from this message. Life, God has a plan for our lives. Life doesn't always go to plan, but God is 
faithful. Amen? Even when we're by that well and we think we've blown it, God is faithful. And like the best of sat-navs, it still is rerouting and finding a new way back into the plan. That's God. He's gracious like that. And so we read an interesting verse. And this, with this, we bring this into land. We read in Exodus 2, verse 24. God, uh, we read this. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then we read this. God saw what was going on, and God cared. God is faithful. He remembered his promise to Abraham way back in the story. And he recovered that sense of urgent action towards these people. In other words, Moses' plan has failed. But now God is stepping in with his plan, and it's going to succeed. And I want to speak hope over some of our lives where we feel like we've failed, we've taken it into our own hands, we've ended up in places that feel hopeless. That's the scene as this story closes. On the one hand, Moses is sitting by a well and he's given up and the people of Israel are still enslaved in Egypt without any obvious hope. On stage, it's quiet and silent and seemingly forgotten. But backstage, the narrator is telling us God is rousing himself for battle. God is about to step in and turn this story in a whole new direction. And I believe some of us need to take heart today. God has a new plan for our lives. And it's going to kick us back into a new direction if we will allow him back into the very center. I've only ever been involved in a few amateur dramatics, but I I remember one particular uh, production that our school did that I was somehow involved in, and I wasn't on the stage, actually. I was one of, probably for good reason. I was backstage. I think I was involved in moving props around. And uh, I remember this one particular scene where it reached this point in the story where it was all quite dark and depressing and hope had gone out from the characters' lives. And so you could sense from the audience that it was a low point and it was silent and dark on stage. The lights were dimming. But what the audience couldn't hear and didn't realize is that backstage, it was actually the busiest moment for those of us who were in this production crew. All sorts of frenetic activity was going on backstage, lining up props, actors furiously getting changed into new outfits, light rigging being adjusted, because all of a sudden, the story was about to kick in a new direction. And that's the story of Moses. On stage, it looks bleak. Off stage, there is a flurry of activity in heaven as God is lining up a new plan and purpose for his people. And I believe for some of us individually, God wants to speak hope into our lives. God has a plan for your life. You are not an accident and your failure will not be the end of the story. Amen? God is going to bring a new line of direction for you and this series is going to be part of it. That's true for us individually. I believe that's true for us as a nation as well. Yes, it's a hostile moment. Yes, the church can seem to be struggling in our nation and being increasingly marginalized, but I believe God is lining up an exciting new moment. A lot of prayers have been going up to heaven from God's people recently, and God hears these cries. He remembers his promises. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. God has a plan for his people, and Pharaoh can't stop it. Amen? God has a plan for my life. And even when life doesn't go to plan, God is faithful. So Heavenly Father, I lift up the name of Jesus over everyone listening to this message, both here and in our other centers and online. 
I lift up the name of Jesus and I pray, Lord, for those who have felt discouraged and defeated. I pray that they would know today you are not forgotten. Listen to the verbs. God sees, God knows, and God cares. God has a plan for your life. And even when life doesn't go to plan, God is faithful. Amen.